Welcome to the Best Science Medicine Podcast, BS without the BS. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 517th episode of the Best Science Medicine Podcast. My name is James McCormick, and I'm a professor with the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of British Columbia. I'm Mike Allen. I'm a family doctor and the director of practice support at the College of Family Physicians of Canada. I'm also an adjunct professor at the University of Alberta. And uh, just one word, Mike, premium. <laughs> oh, only the best, James. And that's why we're going to... And a premium means top studies. It does. And, it does. And it's a, it's a topic that we haven't talked about for a while, but there's been a couple of... Uh, uh, I, I guess relatively large studies in a, in a major in major a major journal around the use of uh, uh, inhaled steroids for asthma and, and for those of you who know anything about anything we've been using inhaled steroids for a long time. We have, and there has been a dream, and it started a long time ago, mm. of creating asthma. I remember early on the whole idea of steroids in addition to short acting beta agonist yeah, sure. and um, the idea that there was two things going on there was bronchoconstriction but there was also inflammation and yeah. that kind of recognition <laughs> that we're dating ourselves by by saying that we were around in the time of this this growth um, in oh yeah I, I you know I, and, and I was around when there were, were there were no inhaled corticosteroids at all and, and in fact the recommendation for people with asthma was to take uh, you know the the salbutamol or albuterol uh, type uh, medications uh, two puffs four times a day. That was it. That's what you did. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and then then there were drugs like um, the sodium chromoglycolate, oh, yeah, yeah. all sorts of Which never, all sorts of drugs yeah. that we. And we when, when when we originally started with inhaled corticosteroids, they they the doses we were taking were uh, and it depends on 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 what the comparator is. We're talking like doses of five maybe ten times more than what we're using now and in fact it would be relatively the equivalent of taking prednisone and we right. figured out over that over time that you know you needed much much lower doses and you've probably never heard that message but that that is something that is an important thing is low dose but but now this is a but the issue is when is is now when to use them and and, and right and, and, and it's also these, about escalation and that yeah. we this whole topic, we've tried asthma action plans. Yeah. There has been lots of publications on different ways. Do you, during an exacerbation, do you, you know, double, triple? Yeah. Well, first it was double, then it was triple, then it's quadruple. Yeah. And, 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 and when you actually looked at that evidence, it didn't really show anything. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. as good. And yeah. so, and, and there's been lots of reflection on asthma action plans and all of this. And, these two trials took a slightly different approach mm -hmm. rather than waiting for the full exacerbation to double or triple or quadruple your use. Mm -hmm. They took the approach of if you're having it, if you're needing to use your short acting beta agonist, then use your steroid puffer with it. And one of the trials combined the two products so that you had to use when you went to use salbutamol mm -hmm. or albuterol you also were automatically giving yourself a dose right. of corticosteroid. And the other one just told people to do that. But yeah. that's the key. It's it's not just during an exacerbation now. It's not following an action plan. It's simplifying it down to if you need your short-acting puffer, just take the steroid right. with it. Now, we have seen studies like this in the past. Now, these are the ones that we're going to talk about in this in these studies. are They are relatively poorly controlled asthmatics. 
yes. you know, in yes. general, like we've, there are, there are studies that have looked at, you know, that, uh, is it better to use maintenance inhaled corticosteroids? So you're using it one puff a day or, or once a day or twice a day. Is it then, do you need, when you use an inhaler, uh, uh, for your symptoms, is it best to just use just a, a regular salbutamol or do you use it with a combined with an inhaled corticosteroid? But that's, uh, the, the question was, is it best to stay on regular corticosteroids or do you not use regular corticosteroids but use uh, a puffer that has steroids in it? Th- those studies have been done, but now this this is sm- somewhat more unique in that these are people who are already on maintenance steroids. Right. They're on maintenance steroids, so you're talking about adding it. Yeah. And how do you add it? Do you follow some asthma action plan? Yeah, yeah. You just double, quadruple. Or do you do this, which is which is give more court? And the other ones have not been. There has been some sign of benefits, mm-hmm. particularly in the quadruples, where small effects are seen. Yeah, but nothing dramatic. So this is a, as James says, these are relatively poorly controlled asthmatics. Yeah. Um, and so let's get into the first one. This yeah. was published in New England Journal um, uh, this year. And it was a multinational study with three arms to the RCT with 3,130 or so poorly controlled asthmatics. And around 80% of them were taking some form of maintenance corticosteroid mm-hmm. therapy. They were on average uh, 49, so around 50 a third of them were male, and this study was industry funded. Um, it had, I think, it had some government grants as well, but it it had, um, it was run by. So one of the things industry does is they subcontract other companies that are heavily supported by industry to run their trials, right, and that's right. what these guys did. Okay, um, so let that bother you or as much or as little as, as little as you wish much. yeah it's it's about it's about as long as you know then that it's that's it's almost a personal thing <laughs> right and so the other piece that might be relevant for some readers and which is interesting for me because for a while journals were saying they weren't going to allow industry written articles mm-hmm. and that included when they funded a medical writer but this one was actually acknowledged up front. It was written by a medical writer funded by AstraZeneca, Interesting. who is kind yeah. of the parent company for, for all of this. So what did they do? Well, they gave these uh, people who have a history of exacerbation in the last um, kind of 12 months. So what's an exacerbation? Well, a severe exacerbation to them was any exacerbation needing three or more days of systemic corticosteroids or requiring an ER or urgent care visit um, with systemic corticosteroids or a hospitalization of at least 24 months. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's a typical definition. Right. And, yeah. then, and then they also had to be, and I'm not going to go over all these scores. The scores are crazy, but they used an asthma score. And if you cross the threshold to being poorly controlled, yeah. um, I, and I don't think we need to no, go no. over... What, what the scores were. Um, and if, if someone really wants, we can go over what an ACT score is. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Yes. So the Mike, Mike, this is a premium the, podcast. We don't need that. I know. We want to keep it, we want to keep it crisp. So the um, maintenance was, uh, they had their maintenance therapy, whatever that was. And some were on a combination of corticosteroid lava and yeah. some were on just straight corticosteroid. Right. And um, as needed, uh, 
So whenever they were having symptoms or wanted to exercise, and they would use a short-acting beta agonist before exercise, which is one of the things that's been advocated. So if you're even going to do that, you're going to get steroid with it. Yeah. Which is quite different than, you know, typically yeah. if you if you have exercise-induced asthma, there, I'm, I can't actually really come up with a decent reason why you'd want to use a steroid at that time, but that's what was done. Yeah, that was done in here. Just yeah. because I think they wanted yeah. to cover it all. Here's exactly. your short-acting beta yeah. agonist. You'll use it for everything you use a short-acting yeah, yeah, yeah. beta agonist for. So you've got 180 micrograms of albuterol and 160 of uh, budesonide. Or you got a or that was ARM1. ARM2 was 180 micrograms of albuterol with 80 micrograms of budesonide. And then the last was 180 of albuterol alone. And yeah. then you got two puffs. Yeah. So it was either a, a, a reliever or uh, one of two different doses of uh, uh, an inhaled corticosteroid. Right. Yeah. Right. And so the big question is, okay, so what happened? So if you were on the high dose of budesonide, and again, these are people who anytime they feel they need a puff, mm-hmm. they take it, but they're just getting their steroid automatically. So high dose, um, the annualized rate of exacerbation went to um, was 0.74. Um, and so it was going from a rate of about 0.6 in the albuterol alone down to about 0.43 in the, so, so in other words, it, you know, that a person's risk of having an exacerbation was about 60% and it was going down to about 43. Mm-hmm. That would be another way to look at it. For the low dose, the annualized exacerbation rate was 0.84 was the ratio. So, and that was right scratching at the upper limit of the confidence mm-hmm. interval at 0.71 to one. So if you, if that matters to you, it's borderline statistical significant. But it went from, again, about um, 0.6, around 0.6, so about a 60% chance, down to about a 48% chance or a 0.48 um, exacerbation rate per year. So they're working mm-hmm. um, and they're uh, helping people avoid exacerbations. Yeah. Not a huge amount. You're not taking it to zero by any stretch, but... No. You are shaving off a reasonable amount. In the first case, about uh, 25% to 25% relative risk, mm-hmm. um, and in the next case, about 15. Yeah, and and it did, and you, I don't think you could you, you couldn't make the argument that the higher was better. You can't. Yeah. You can't. You can't say that. You can say now in the clinical trial they will absolutely say that, James, oh, because one was yeah, yeah. clearly statistically significant, yeah. and the other one was borderline yeah. statistic. But but there was no difference. There's no statistical difference between the two of them. I don't think so, no. Yeah. Um, And then who attained the minimal clinically important difference on a scale? Um, Mm -hmm. And it was around, and the high dose was more consistently finding a benefit there um, to get about, uh, on average, it was about 5% better depending on how you looked at the scale and what the cutoff was. Right. And it was, um, to give you an example, who got there? Well, if you were on high-dose puffer, uh, about 67% got there. And if you were on just the albuterol alone, 62% of the people got there. Right. So that's the 5% um, absolute difference between the two, getting to a minimal clinically important difference. Yeah. And, and what, was in, what was important, and, you know, because the, they, they didn't find any difference in adverse effects. Yeah, there, 
Yeah, these which are fascinating, these asthma studies, because we hear a lot about things like dysphonia, thrush, all that stuff. Yeah, but they're, but they're already on it, though, Mike. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and, no, and, and they were already on it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's... They could have, they could have gotten more, I guess. They yeah. could end up on more steroid and therefore more risk. But yeah, yeah. it's just not, uh, not a lot. Yeah. And, and one of the things, I, again, I, if I, this, this trial will encourage the use of more steroid in general. What would have been interesting, and, and, I, and maybe it wouldn't have been ethical to do this, I would have loved to have seen an arm where they were not getting the, necessarily the maintenance and to see if, if again, this, this population could have been controlled with just PRN when you needed a, you know, when you needed it, you took both uh, albuterol plus a steroid because that's been done in people, I think, with less uh, uh, severe asthma. And Absolutely. And it's yeah. been shown. The milder that, asthmatics, there yeah. is studies of that and it does work in them, right? Yeah. So, so it would, I, I, that'd be a tricky study to get by ethics because you've got poorly controlled asthmatics. But I think it would be interesting to see because these people use a fair amount of PRN use, right, for these agents. Yeah, they were using uh, two and a half puffs a day or so on average. Right. A little bit different between each subgroup. But still, they were using a lot of, <laughs> they were doing a lot of puffs. Yeah. And, this and, and, yeah. So uh, what it's telling me is that they have, they have sucky asthma. Like they, <laughs> and, I, and that's the medical term. But that's, yeah. you know, to, to have to require that frequent use of, of, a, of a reliever, if you will, I think the title was uh, Combined um, Acute Reliever in Sucky Asthma. It was, yeah, yeah. It's a new term. And you heard it here first. But it, but it just shows you these are definitely poorly controlled asthmatics. Yeah, because they're using their, you know, uh, the blue puffer of happiness. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Quite often. So, yeah, yeah no, it's, it, but it is an interesting idea, you know, and I, I, I think um, I sometimes get frustrated with all the different ways we tried to increase the amount when th- this simple solution of just combining the two oh, and for sure, yeah, having yeah. people automatically take increased steroid whenever they, it's just, so, so they're getting their relief because, y- you know, from teaching patients about their puffers, like, yeah. and this is nothing against the patients. It's overwhelming and it's complicated, yeah. but, but, it would be at least one in every two that asked me to clarify. Yeah, but but you, we, but you have to. There's a lot of because these guys still have to take their regular doses. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. So, but I'm I'm just saying like it's confusing. So oh, you yeah. can say when when you you know, I, I I have a lot of people who said to me. So the orange one is for when I'm feeling bad, mm-hmm. um, and and to help me feel better right away. Yeah. And no, actually, yeah, it's the, the orange one is. Yeah, it's the blue one. Yeah, it's, it is very, uh, and, and very confusing uh, yeah. for patients. So just removing all of that and saying, here, take this whenever you don't feel well. Yes. Uh, but we, but, but we, we, we were doing that anyway, Mike. Oh, I know. I know. Because we, 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 what we were doing was saying, you're on a regular dose of inhaled corticosteroids and you use PRNLB or salbutamol. So it's, it's nothing, it's not easier to do. Well, it's easier to do in the in the sense that if you all of these asthma action plans and everything were far more complex than oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, C- certainly more compl- yeah, than yeah, absolutely. Yeah, then if you yeah, do, then just then saying you, like yeah. you, you just do what you need to do. 
And now this medicine is going to automatically top up your baseline yeah, steroid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so because you, what you're saying is, because with the other action plans, it says what you do is you double your dose, so you quadruple your dose, and oh whatever. yeah, and, you, and it didn't do anything was, anyway. So uh, and they didn't. Yeah, and it was confusing, and there's yeah. all these colors and advice. Oh, God, oh yeah, that, when are you, oh, that when part. When you're of feeling it. worse, here's the signs you're feeling worse. Blah 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 blah. Just, and that was actually in the that was in the action plan, wasn't it? Blah blah blah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah just no like wonder it was confusing. I think that's the red zone. Sucky asthma is the red zone. Yeah. <laughs> and and when, when you have sucky asthma, you do blah, 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 blah. Uh, that's so, why we never wrote the asthma action No, exactly. So, but they but, were confusing for patients. Absolutely, this really yeah. really simplifies things. And I, I think you um, know I love it. But now, that's not the only uh, um, asthma study that was in the New England Journal recently. Yeah, no. So this other one came out near the same time, mm-hmm. and it had a slightly different approach, but the same basic philosophy. So this was an RCT of 1,200 black and Latino U.S. asthmatics. Mm -hmm. Um, And they got this treatment. This study went for 15 months. The last study, it was harder than heck to figure out the actual duration of the study. Um, But they did have Kaplan-Meier curves that went out a long time. I wasn't -hmm. wasn't too concerned about it uh, when I saw that. Anyway, very very similar design in other ways, other than that they were looking at a select group of patients who have a history of uh, poorly controlled asthma, and that's the black and Latino population. So mean age was 48, 84% were female. Um, so similar to the last one where only 30-something percent were male, this is uh, 15% were male. And again, Poorly controlled, 90%. Uh, last time it was around 80 to 85. This time it's 90% already on a steroid um, with or without LABA. And what they did this time is you were told to take a puff of um, your 80 micrograms of beclomethazone every time you needed a reliever puffer. So if you needed to use it once, you took one puff. If you used it twice, if you use two puffs, you took two puffs of the beclomethazone. And if you were someone who was using your reliever by nebulizer, so you're getting albuterol or salbutamol by nebulizer, then you took five puffs of beclomethazone, 80 micrograms. Yeah. I mean, it's confusing. And we could, we could talk a little bit about nebulized and so on. The best evidence that I've ever seen is there have been numerous studies that have looked at nebulized versus you know, uh, non-nebulized, if you will. Uh, yeah, the aero chamber. Just really the aero chambers or what, it doesn't matter what way, other, other than nebulized. And it's never been able to show any benefit. No uh, big difference. Yeah, no, but no some difference. people, as you know, love nebulized. Absolutely, yeah. No, I totally get that. And and certainly we saw that when when I was working at St. Paul's where people would go, oh yeah, but it, I, this way is much better. And you go, well, if it's much better for you, that's great. But it, it yeah, yeah. does add the and, level and, of complexity to the to the process and time. Oh, for sure. But you know. it's the idea of sitting there and slowly getting treated while you, you know, kind of calm yeah. down and your lungs feel better. And Absolutely. People have argued it's the psychology of having yeah. that kind of steam float around your face and exactly. somebody yeah, that yeah. it makes you feel like but, but when you all sorts of stuff. Yeah, but when you actually do that, the head-to-head comparisons, there's no difference between nebulizer. Now, there's, uh, there's always going to be, uh, just because there's no difference... Uh, but you know when you compare these things there's going to be that patient who does seem to get better well, oh, for one sure. versus the yeah. other so the, you know that's the that's the 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 sort of the magic of medicine or the art of medicine if you will that we need to deal with but it's uh 
but yeah, but that, like I said, these people were, uh, some of these people had nebulized uh, uh, steroids. Right. So these guys were using that 80 micrograms per puff, and, and these guys were using it as um, uh, over two puffs, mm -hmm. um, but getting a similar amount. So in the other study, the high dose was um, 90 micrograms per puff, and then they got it twice, so it was 180. These guys uh, just had 80, but um, if they used a nebulizer, but they mm -hmm. took it every time they used a puffer, so they would get up to 160 on two puffs. And if they used a nebulizer, they'd get to 400. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, so that's that's kind of the background. Again, similar, they had to um, have quite bad asthma to get in. And um, what they used at the end was they used one extra steroid um, inhaler and one less reliever. So just to put in context of, of, uh, by the two comparator groups, the one that didn't get this intervention and the one that did, the one that got the intervention of saying, increase your steroids, they used one more puffer given that one year time frame mm -hmm. uh, of the corticosteroid, but they used one less reliever puffer. Right. Even though they were linked, what it meant was they were using less relievers overall, but but every time they used it, they were using it. And their estimated um, uh, compliance rate was somewhere around 80% or something, which I, I found quite surprising because yeah. it was so good. Um, so the annualized exacerbation rate was um, 0.85. So that's the relative. Mm -hmm. And so it went from, in the control group, from 0.82 exacerbation rates per year down to 0.69 with the steroid. So um, very similar to what we saw with the other study. Very similar to what we saw with the other study. Um, and uh, the ACT score was 0.9 better versus placebo. So the minimal clinically important difference here is three. And some will say, well, that means that patients didn't get to three. No, that's not what that means. What that means is that the difference between the two didn't reach something clinically different. Right. But what you look at instead is how many patients, what was the average change for patients? If they don't give you the percent who got to it, then another way to get there is to look at the average change per patient. And the average change per patient who wasn't in the steroids, increased steroid subgroup was 2.5 on the ACT score versus 3.4 with the steroid. Right. So the average patient on the steroid was getting to a minimal clinically important difference. But n a number of them in the, in the control, the placebo group or usual care group was also getting there, probably not quite close to 50%, but, but um, they don't give those numbers, which is unfortunate. Right. Um, they, they studied something here, which was a bit of a surprise to me um, in that they, uh, in that they actually found something and that they they studied it. And that was work days missed. Mm -hmm. They first of all, other asthma scores were similarly improved. They were a little bit better for the increased steroid group. But they actually went and had less um, missed days of work. So the group was uh, 16.8 um, missed days of work in the uh, control arm versus 13 in the steroid arm. 13.4. Yeah. So, I mean, o over a year, that's three days or three and a half days, which is, it's better than the other way around. 
but you know, it's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's yeah. just indicating, and you know, work. <laughs> no one, no one wants more work, but it is an indication of uh, better control. Um, right, yeah, exactly. So, so that's a that, that's one of the in, uh, indicators of, of, of better control. Same with using less reliever and and all. Yeah, all of, of these things are indicating that kind of thing. Yeah. So um, the no, uh, there was no difference in hospitalizations or severe adverse events, and. Really, I think the overall, these, these are two studies with slightly different approaches, but the same basic concept mm-hmm. of linking up the um, uh, steroid, the increased steroid, the escalating of your steroid with your short-term reliever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I enjoy the simplicity of that. Yeah, yeah if, and especially if, it, if they come in, in the one inhaler. Now, the problem with that is yes. those combination inhalers are much more expensive. I know, and this one's going to be crazy because it's new and they just funded a study, so they're going to yeah, so it, 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 be marketing that heavy, which yeah. is very important. And so that's why my comment about the original one was, wouldn't it have been interesting to see if they could have gotten away with possibly lower doses of their maintenance? Because there's been a lot of studies that have looked at, looked at the maintenance dose of inhaled corticosteroids and uh, I, in in patients who are on inhaled corticosteroids, there have been a, a number of trials where they've uh, reduced the doses and found that it didn't make a whole lot of difference, if any difference. Like they would take it and cut the dose in half and for some and not the other group, and it found no difference in outcome. And so it, it is very tricky to figure out the right dose of these agents. And Yeah, especially the... the, the and, and I think it's because of the variance in individuals. Yeah. I mean, as we indicated earlier, that idea of of, of using uh, corticosteroids, if you ever need a reliever, was used in milder asthmatics, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. So you, and and that was studied as as combining your maintenance therapy with your short term reliever, so that you were getting you weren't getting excess steroid when you didn't need it. Yeah. So you weren't taking a steroid mm-hmm. every day per se. Uh, you wrote, but you might be getting more during times where your asthma was worse. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and looking at all this, I mean, if I was a, a very, very mild asthmatic or I had or had just exercise-induced asthma, I would literally just use uh, salbutamol. Like a, that's, yeah. that's what I would do. And then if it was, if I was, you know, having exacerbations that were, uh, you know, getting to the point of being frustrating, uh, I, if it was me, I think I would probably still use an, al- you know, an albuterol for symptoms, but I might, uh, or salbutamol or, or, or reliever, but I think I might consider using, rather than going to maintenance of steroids, I think I might go with the approach of the combination. Yeah, now, no, I think, I think that, that idea is, is very helpful for yeah. kind of milder asthmatics. Um, yeah, it's a, it, to me it seems, and the evidence does suggest that that does work. This is this subgroup that we've talked about today is the more severe. Exactly. Ones. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Complex. And then, I th- and then I think what I would do is, depending on, I might, if it was, if cost was an issue, I would say, you know, unfortunately, you know, if cost is an issue, you might have to use two inhalers. So you'd have to use a, yeah. you know, a reliever and a corticosteroid at the same time. So you'd have to take them independently, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, but at the same, yeah, you'd start. You, yeah, I need, a, I need my blue puffer. Yeah, so you use the blue puffer, and you immediately use the orange one or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and I think it. that would be reasonable. And then, you know, in the people with more severe asthma, you know, unfortunately, as 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 we talked about about the previous study, these people needed frequent uh, 
<laughs> use yeah. of inhalers, right? So they, no matter what, even if they were already on all of these different agents, they still had poorly controlled asthma. Yeah, that's, it's sad, right? These are severe cases. Oh, yeah. And I'm not, you know, we don't want to lead people to believe that this, we're advocating this approach for everybody. But no. it, it is a, it for those who are more severe, I think we're getting somewhere now. Like, yeah. And I, I didn't, that, that, may, that may seem harsh, but the asthma action plan, I remember when patients came in, we used to test their um, spirometry yeah, and all the that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or the peak, peak spirometry flow rate, yeah. Yeah, peak flows is what I meant. Sorry, yeah. and and that was, um, you know, again, we didn't, we weren't able to correlate all of that with exacerbations yeah. very well, and, no. and and treatments, and it wasn't turning out to help in treatments. And we did all of this stuff for asthma when this simple approach seems yeah. to be, we're, we're targeting in on something. Yeah. But it certainly seems to make it more simple. It may make it a bit more expensive. Yeah, I know. I hate that, but well, you know, yeah, and 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 it's very important to realize that this is not getting rid of the exacerbations. It's taking it from, you know, uh, what? Yeah, it depends on what study you're looking at. But from about a point, you know, from about point eight per year down mm-hmm. to about a point seven per year, yeah. or or in the earlier ones from about a point six per year down to about a point four or point five per year, and so. One of the things, uh, and, and we found this tricky in the in the study to try and figure this out. But you, Mike, you were talking about exacerbation rates, right? Right. So you can yeah. rates are so there's exacerbation rates because a person can have multiple exacerbations or none, and then there's looking at the number needed to treat for how many patients avoided one or more exacerbations. Yeah, yeah. That's, or or, that's or how many people had had a a severe exacerbation over that right. period of time frame. Yeah. And there was a, uh, we, we were sort of were teasing out what was in, in the figure and it looks roughly. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's tricky to do this about if you, if you just took the albuterol with no inhaled corticosteroids, your chance of an exacerbation over a period of a year was around 35%. And then if you took either of the doses of the inhaled corticosteroid, it went down to maybe about 25%. So, that gives you yeah, sort of the, a, the, the, yeah the highest dose you've got you down to maybe twenty five percent and then in the middle for the mid dose and it's the uh, yeah it's it's tricky those aren't exact numbers and they don't present them in the study no. but if you're looking at the number of patients who avoid an exacerbation one or more exacerbations yeah. over a given year it's somewhere around twenty five percent have an exacerbation versus um, uh, 35%. And you'll note those are different than the exacerbation numbers because a number of people are having multiple exacerbations. And the exacerbation rate is increased because of that. So so you could sort of say about uh, about a 10% absolute difference. Yeah, so a number needed to treat of 10. If you're you're keen on those kind of numbers. (laughs) Well, I hope we are. Given that we've done needed. that for 517 bucks. Yeah, yeah, I know. But some people don't. We've talked yeah. before about number needed to treat not being the... Oh, I don't the, mean number needed to treat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I meant more the absolute numbers. Yeah. no. That's oh, good. no. The absolute numbers are vitally yeah. important. Knowing yeah, yeah. that, what, Knowing what happens in the two groups, that's key. But the how we understand NNT is always tricky. Yeah. In fact, we've, we've said in the past that, the, yeah, don't use NNT. Just... 
even though everybody does, it's much easier to say. And we and people love to hear it. They love to hear what's the number needed to treat for that. So yeah. I always throw it in, but with reservation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, good stuff. Um, so anything else other than? Uh, no, I think that's it. Yeah. We've got uh, other news studies, other previews yeah, we'll do that. coming we'll do that up because yeah. there's lots of good stuff coming out, yeah. and now uh, we'll keep you posted on those. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. So uh, I think we'll just leave it at that. So thanks as always for listening. Talk to you later. Uh-huh.